0: welcome to the battleground wisconsin my name is matt bruski and i'm the deputy director here at citizen action of wisconsin and welcome to another gorgeous august here in wisconsin and the folks are out enjoying the great state and there's lots of things going on including a really important uh conference today in south milwaukee where you will find priscilla bort our movement politics director here at citizen action priscilla Welcome. And uh, am I right? You're in, in South Milwaukee today for an important I
1: conference? I am. I am live from the Wisconsin Public Education Network. Uh, ninth annual Summer Summit at South Milwaukee High School. Live, coming at you.
0: Well, we appreciate that you uh, took the time in spite of the important conference. We had Heather on uh, the executive director, earlier to talk about the state budget and public education. So it's great you could make it there. Before we go any further, let me just quickly introduce Robert Craig, executive director here. Robert, good to have you, too.
2: Good to be here. And I'm hopeful uh, our fabulous host, Matt Bruschi, is has uh, assigned uh, Citizen Action folks going to State Fair to report <laughs> back on the new healthy fair at the State Fair, since I'm advised by one listener that Being uh, anti-state fair is worse than being against any of the sports teams in Wisconsin. Oh, good. Oh,
0: oh, I like that, listener. (laughs) So, Robert, this is you normally share the uh, messages our listeners send. I didn't get this one. Thanks for sharing it today. Uh, Thank you, listener. Whoever took a shot at Robert for that. That's great. I've been carrying on your I've been doing your work uh internally with uh citizen action. We've got, as Robert is referencing there, I have tasked any staff who are going to State Fair to hunt down any good food opportunities. So Robert will reconsider and take in the joy that is the Wisconsin State Fair. Folks, you know, again, you don't come to talk state fair with us, you come to talk politics. And we got to let Priscilla go. Uh, but before she does, uh, go off to that great conference. She is with us because this Monday, uh, we at Citizen Action, led by Priscilla, launched the application in the process for announcing this uh, the Movement Politics Academy, our second version of it, and Priscilla's first uh, version of it this fall. Priscilla, tell our listeners more about the Movement Politics Academy that you're going you're gonna to be leading this fall.
1: Yes, I am so excited. Uh, we officially launched it this Monday. Uh been waiting for, for a while for these wonderful electoral cycles uh, to be done so we can take some time to work on recruiting candidates and campaign managers and great campaign staff uh, to have some folks in office running campaigns that look like us that come from our Communities, uh, we're we're going to be teaching things like time management, how to work with volunteers, but also political education on uh, how to run on healthcare, on climate justice, public education, economics—all those good things. We're we're so excited uh, encouraging anyone who's ever thought about running are running a campaign to apply, uh, especially folks of color, women, trans, non-binary folks, Uh, veterans, people with disabilities, LGBTQIA folks, uh, anybody who is not considered or who doesn't think of themselves in politics, this is absolutely for you. I want you to be part of this program. I want to learn alongside of you. Our application is online and I'm so excited to watch uh, all more and more applications rolling in. It's going to be a great program starting end of September.
0: Well. I I got to I'm super excited about this. The last academy had a couple of graduates that are now uh ones on the Appleton City Council, another is on the Mawa- uh excuse me Appleton School Board and the Milwaukee School Board. But one of the things I'll just say listeners and if you're thinking about this uh that is super important about this academy. Priscilla just laid out one it's open to everyone. We really want people who traditionally maybe don't see themselves as Priscilla said in this, or have been told maybe in the past, you don't live in the right area. You're not, you know, we, we want to put that aside. We want people that are committed to being a part of a movement, being a part of taking on corporate power with great clarity and being a part of citizen action, our national network, a whole broader group of allies that will help you maybe become the leader that you think you can be. And so this, this academy will really help give you some of the basics, the skills to see if that's for you. Priscilla, tell us, tell our listeners a little more timeline real quick, like just, just the basics in terms of there's an application. This is not, you know, it is a competitive process. And then when does it run just a little flavor of like, what kind of commitment are we talking
3: about?
1: Of course. So it's open now. Uh, it, the application will close Sunday, September 3rd. So you've got about three and a half weeks to think about. Do I want to apply for this? Uh, and then it'll start September 28th during that kind of weeks in between. We'll be going through applications, talking to folks, all that kind of good stuff. Uh so it'll start September twenty eighth, which is a Thursday evening. It'll run for eight weeks on Thursday evenings from six to seven on Zoom. So it can be all across the state. We want everyone from the tippy top of Superior all the way down to Kenosha, Racine, everywhere in between we want uh folks from around the state. This is open to you, especially if somebody has told you, I don't know if this is for you. It's for you. It's for everybody.
0: Listen people. We we just think this is critical, right? We do organizing and are committed to organizing our organizing cooperatives and the whole idea that this democracy doesn't function, right? If we're not all involved in it in a very active way. And this is just a critically important slice of that. And we talk about candidates. We talk about the kind of vision we want to have in our local and state politics. And the only way that's going to happen is if we step up if we think that that leadership is within us or if we know people and i think this is probably the most important thing i would say to our listeners is this may not apply to you or you but you may know someone you may know some young some some young person that you think would be fantastic for this that you see their leadership in them and maybe they haven't please reach out to them let us know send us if you think there's good names send priscilla names we really want to try to make sure that we're investing in this new new generation of leaders priscilla before you go any i I want to give you an opportunity for any further thoughts things that you think are really important for our listeners to know about the academy
1: you know one of the biggest takeaways that we want from the academy is values-based campaigns and candidates and their managers so it's all about how you run on who you are which is why we're encouraging so many people who don't fit that old white male uh, norm of politics to apply. I got my start a couple years ago as a campaign manager, and there's so few women of color campaign managers, and there's so few folks of color candidates that this is is for you. If you're looking for that values-based thing, if you think, I don't know, I am too scared to do this, this is absolutely for you. Come explore it with us we want to be with you along your entire journey from the start of thinking i want to get involved to getting elected to getting your candidate elected co-governing with you this is absolutely for for you so i want to encourage folks to apply send me questions send me names all of those things Ah, or i'm so deeply excited about this yes
2: (laughs) and one what is robert one clarifying question. I know we're trying to make uh you know the people who serve us in office look more like our society demographically and and everything uh but uh since some of our listeners are old white men, I assume we'll accept the next bernie sanders if if he wishes to apply in other words oh, they have absolutely. a little... <laughs>
1: yes there is a role for everyone (laughs) there's a role for everyone uh we just want to make sure that folks who are often not told there's a role for them hear that there is a role for them here at citizen action at the movement politics academy
0: yeah absolutely and what's important folks and just to put a point on what robert said right like Bernie Sanders was told he couldn't win because Bernie Sanders says, I want to run without major campaign contributions. I want to build a grassroots effort that can get out there. Those are the if you're that kind of person, please. And you want to take on corporate power and be aligned and help break down, you know, the white supremacist structures that are crippling our ability to thrive. Right. Please give it a consideration. Priscilla, I know you got to go. Uh, I just want to thank you for taking time to come on and just talk to us, even though you were at the uh this important convention today.
1: Absolutely. And if you were at this convention too or you're listening to this afterwards, hit me up. I'd love to discuss it with you.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Great. Well, thank you, Priscilla. Uh, folks, there'll be a link to information about the academy, which includes obviously a link to the application. And take priscilla up if you're thinking about this or even if you think you've got some people that you really would like to see uh step into their leadership please please we we really want to we want to find all those folks but first we also got to take a break you're listening to the battleground wisconsin where citizen action you can find us at citizenactionwi.org battleground wisconsin is supported by the good folks at WEAC Region 2, protecting the rights of education employees and promoting public education in the central Wisconsin area. Learn more at weac.org, W-E-A-C dot O-R-G. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. Robert, before we go on to our next topic, I do want to give you any final thoughts that you have about you know, the academy and, and why it's so important, because, you know, you and I've been doing this work a long time. And this is a this is always a it's a struggle. It's hard. It's hard to find people to run for office, period. Right. No matter what their ideological uh, background and feelings are, it's even harder to do this kind of work where you're asking people to take on, you know, significant power and wealth and do it. Uh, uh do it at your local uh, government level where you may be the only person uh when you get elected or there may be two of you and and that's a challenge your thoughts robert
2: and and this is also open to people who don't necessarily think it's for them but they could like to run campaigns or work for people who are running just so folks folks yeah. know i think priscilla said that but just to put a a, a point on that um but i would just say that look, there's a lot of complaining, quite frankly, and now complaining can be justified in about Uh, the lack of good candidates on our side, the lack of progressive candidates, progressives who think they're running for office, being on a ballot line and don't know how to run and therefore aren't really doing anything like they think they are. It is not Mr. Smith goes to Washington anymore. There are things you have to do to actually be heard by voters and have a chance of being elected. Uh, And so... This helps with all of that. And it also, uh, since we we talk about the the fact that uh that that we our leadership is too much uh to, in terms of the population, disproportionately white, disproportionately male, disproportionately older, that we need to diversify that group, understanding we need some of the great leadership we get from older men and women in office as well, like Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Ward. I'm not suggesting they need to retire, no one is. Uh, Other people in Congress, uh, Chuck Grassley, yes, I think he should retire, and Mitch McConnell. And so the other thing is, this teaches people that power is not simply held by having the office. You go as a lonely progressive, you will not defeat the system, and a lot of people get taken over by it and start working with its constraints, uh, um, uh, our view is, is that you need to be connected to civic democracy groups on the outside that represent people, and therefore build power together. Inside outside power is the way to transform the system. And we also want people who want to actually transform the system. We actually want to uh, shift power from the absolutely profit, you know, engorged. Big healthcare industry actors uh, from the uh, from the fossil fuel industry and the big utilities that that are you know have us on a course to global genocide with with the climate crisis and actually do what is necessary and so we also are trying to put not only some fresh blood but some fresh ideas and some fresh vigor into actually addressing the major challenges of our society.
0: Yes, and look. Let me be clear. I just want to underscore one thing, Robert. You were talking about. We are not interested in quixotic adventures here, right? Like, we are very interested in finding folks who have been told, or maybe ha- haven't had the opportunity for leadership. But we are we we want to try to make sure and be clear. If you're interested in the academy, that we want people who are prepared to run the kind of campaigns that it takes to win and take on power, and that does require being in relationship with uh, a. a a movement, right, and so that'll be at the center of this academy. And in addition to, you know, understanding, we do this work in deep, deep relationship. And you know, I've been working for years and have been on, you know, heavily involved in Wisconsin Progress. Continue to be involved in an organization like that that also does candidate recruitment and labor unions work extensively on this. We got to do more, right? Um, the idea that like we just expect a few of these groups uh, to, uh, uh, to put in all the work finding and training and like inspiring people, it's not enough. They need help. We all, this is, it. it's just, this is a hugely participatory sport, this democracy, and it requires all of us functioning at high levels. And so we're, we've been serious about this now this is we're about 4 years in and we're very excited about this academy and by the way there will be more things related to this we're going to be doing a lot more trainings in uh what i like to call adult political education um one off trainings for our members for people who aren't members our listeners around some of the curriculum that's in the movement politics academy and other things including really important uh healthcare and climate campaigns that are going to be launching um, so there'll be more on that but um again want to thank Priscilla for coming on folks please consider it robert let's let's jump we got a lot to talk about we've got Amazing guests that are about to be uh, on us, Alex Hahn from In These Times, will be joining us very shortly. And then later in the show, our resident economist, Michael Rosen, is going to join us to touch base again on the economy, Fed Reserve, what's happening, all that. We'll talk, we'll talk later with Michael. But Robert, before we do that, can we talk about Supreme Court justice, chief justice for what it's worth, Annette Ziegler's hypocrisy just dripping out the last week. Robert, I want to get your thoughts on this. She has been on a media tour that is just complaining and trying to, along with a lot of the right-wing conservative establishment, make something out of the fact (laughs) that progressives have taken control and are actually starting to try to... um, set up the court to start to uh, run in an open, transparent, democratic way, which has not been its history. But Robert, please, can you t- get to the nub of this hypocrisy from Chief Justice Ziegler this week?
2: It's just more slash and burn rhetoric from the authoritarian right. And it's often uh, characterized by projection. You could take her terms and describe them to her conduct of office much more effectively and accurately than you could to her democratic colleagues uh, because quite frankly and quite frankly let's face it we know which party all of these folks are for uh, are from let's not pretend this is a nonpartisan partisan office that, that's just a fiction that helps confuse the public and they're not that confused either they vote for them in, in, in along partisan divisions uh but she she and her colleagues intervened in the, in the process before the lower courts had, had figured it out on the investigation of Scott Walker's flagrant violations of our campaign finance laws during recall and basically nullified the laws to keep him out of jail. They moved um, er, you know, uh, earth and water in order to intervene to protect uh, the lame duck legislature at the end of the Walker reign um, from grabbing a whole bunch of power from Evers after he had already been elected, but before he was inaugurated and could veto it. And I, we could go on and on. Including
0: how the chief justice even has the current title and how they, what they did to uh, Abrahamson.
2: Right. Though so they did do a constitutional amendment. So they did <laughs> it through a process, but we don't like what they did, but it, we cannot say that it was, You know, a violation of norms in terms of they, they at least they followed the process. And we see that, you see, we have a party now that is committed to minority rule because they've made the dangerous judgment. They can't win and hold power without it. And they don't say, well, maybe we need to adjust what we advocate so we could be a majority party. No, they're authoritarian say, no, we're right. We're imposing it. It is very much like we just saw. The Ohio legislature tried to, uh, after they ban summer um, voting, to put on the ballot something to change the rules ahead of a November abortion ballot initiative to throttle democracy because they know in their red state that they will lose. And they lost that. And the trick was, they thought that below turnout in August, more Republican, they could change the rules with a different electorate again, minority rule, and it just didn't work this week. So I, I don't think Ziegler's carping does anything to reveal her. I don't think it changes anything. I don't think it influences anything. They've already discredited themselves massively, and uh, and uh, as frankly, they deserve.
0: Yeah. Folks, if you uh, we will put links, Ruth Conniff has a great article about this. And there's, there's other things that have been written. Um, unfortunately, Robert, it is frustrating. I do believe the mainstream media often like they, they gave the chief justice a stage as if this argument came with the basis of credibility, which, which is unfortunate. Cause it's just, it's, it is absolutely ridiculous. And just more broadly, just to put a point on this, right. The last two Supreme Court elections have been very clearly about like this type of the way the court's been conducting itself, and there's been landslide. Like these have been huge margins of victory, so it is so clear what the public wants. And Ziegler's just on the wrong side. And let's remember, Ziegler is a mouthpiece for corporate and wealthy interests, and all, and got elected that way, and has always has been, and that is who's behind a lot of this stuff. So
2: I was going to add that to your point on the mainstream media, part of the right-wing conspiracy that created right-wing media uh, and attacked uh, journalism generally was to redefine objectivity and to say objectivity meant just quoting all the sides without regard to whether it was reasonable or not. And that did that was not professional journalism before before the very modern era. If something was on hinge, journalists were supposed to report that. And now they don't and call it objectivity because they caved to right wing pressure. And you see that in this kind of report.
0: Well, look, this is very similar to the Trump phenomenon and and what was experienced. Right. You there's both the balance of trying to give 50 50 with a lack of with a lack of any sort of analysis behind it right which is is troubling and then trump was a unique situation but yes robert that's excellent to point out but with that we got to take a break you're listening to the battleground wisconsin we're citizen action you can find us at citizenwi.org. wi.org battleground wisconsin is supported by the good folks at WEAC region two protecting the rights of education employees and promoting public education in the central wisconsin area Learn more at weac.org, W-E-A-C dot O-R-G. Welcome back to the Battleground, Wisconsin. Again, we're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. We are super excited to have our first guest. That is Alex Hahn. Alex is the executive director of In These Times. Alex, first of all, it's great to have you. Welcome. Uh, Thanks for having me, Matt it's wonderful. I'm going to kick this right away to uh, Robert, who actually is also uh, connected in these times as a board member, and we just think the world of your uh, magazine and uh, journalism. Robert.
2: So Alex, you've made a really uh, interesting migration from progressive movement building and organizing to independent media. I think we first met at SEIU, we were both fighting for home care workers, uh, you know, back in a decade and a half ago. Uh, but you have been since then building power in Chicago in a lot of ways—progressive power and independent political power—in um, a way that we. The most visible outcome of that, obviously, is the is the election of Brandon Johnson as mayor of Chicago, though Kim Fox as the uh, as the Cook County District Attorney is another example. And so you can. You're very experienced in building the kind of power we need to build in Wisconsin. Chicago's ahead of us now. I know Badgers don't like to hear that, uh, but then the but you've now but usually or often people like to see media as separate from organizing. And I'm wondering. Obviously, you see a connection. I was thrilled when you were hired to make because we are a movement uh uh in a magazine in these times that reports social movements and has historically. So really great to have some of your experience at the helm. But could you speak a little bit about why you did it and how where you see the connections are in, in actually getting the structural reform.
4: Well I I, I appreciate all of that, Robert, and, and I do think there's, you know, there's there's a lot to dig into there in the Chicago experience. You know, I would say I think it's interesting that we're having this conversation, you know, uh, three organizers um, from uh, Wisconsin, from Illinois, um, having that conversation. It's, you know, media is obviously something you're taking seriously at citizen action and in the movement more broadly in Wisconsin. Um, I think, frankly, in a lot of ways, uh, you know, in these times was born in the mid 70s at a moment when, you know, you probably had. Uh, 40 or 50 people at, at 10 or 15 different publications who were working full time, you know, for, you know, mostly different kind of socialist and communist sectarian groups. Um, but you had a rich kind of idea that we need to create our own media um, from political movements for a number of different reasons. Um, you know, to communicate with the broader public, um, to articulate and debate strategy, to analyze and to inform. Um, I do think that, you know, in the time since um, we've fallen away from that. Um, And I think that that's due to a whole number of different causes. You know, some of them, you know, based on the kind of cultural relevance and the kind of victories that the left and social movements have been able to win. um, I think it's become very clear the last several years, uh, especially with the rise and fall and rise and fall of social media and different kind of avenues of media and delivering information um, that we need to take more seriously once again as a movement um, for change, how we are creating media, not just to communicate our stories, not just as a public relations and communications arm, um, but as a way to communicate with millions of people and as a way to debate out our strategy and talk about what we're doing um in a public context. So I'm really thrilled to be here.
2: So, Alex, there were a lot of things to unpack in the strands you just laid out in your first answer. And I heard you talking about speaking to a broader audience than is currently in our movements, actually involved in movement organizations, right? Uh the the various spectrum, uh but also a place for, since we have a movement that is Complex and diverse, and highly local, all over the country—a way to receive information about what what our counterparts are doing elsewhere, and to debate major concepts and major questions, such as what should be the role of of the left in uh, in, in the 2024 election, and how how should they relate to the Democratic Party versus independent political power? So, anything you want to pull along those lines as far as uh, the, the kind of reportage in these times is doing right now?
4: Well, I, you know, let me make a little bit of a shift from thinking about the electoral realm. You know, right now, you know, we're in the midst of a kind of overlapping set of struggles in the labor movement. Um, uh, you know, a, a mix of those are workers who are organizing a union for the first time at places like Amazon, Starbucks, Um, and a lot of other, you know, less famous, you know, less brand name um, employers around the country. Um, You know, we saw recently the tentative agreement at UPS covering 340,000 workers. Um, You know, what's been billed is a $30 billion um, agreement that that workers are voting on. Um, In five weeks, we've got, you know, a couple hundred thousand auto workers whose contracts are expiring at the big three. And so I think part of our task is to... Make the connections um, between those struggles. Make the connections between those struggles and and social movement action. um, Make the connection to electoral politics. Um, I'd also say that I think our movements have gotten much better at understanding mass communication. Um, We've gotten much. You know, the example of the Chicago mayor's race. I know you all in Wisconsin. You know, there's really good coordination and work on statewide races, right? There are moments when we are talking to millions and millions of people. Um, Those moments tend to happen um, when we're getting at the vote um, for an election. And I really want us to think about how we're continuing that communication, how we're continuing that engagement and bringing people in. We see that, you know, issues like, you know, we've got the highest support, Um, for labor unions in kind of the, you know, in in the history of of polling on that question. Um, We've had over the last three years, and this is slightly more um, nuanced, I think, but, you know, we've had really broad popular support um, for uh, non-police interventions around, um, you know, public safety and mental health and so we've got to figure out ways to capture and speak to those majorities not just at the peak of a street protest movement not just in the 3 weeks before election day um but year round so we can really develop mass organization
2: i think that's all very on point alex i think another way in these times and magazines in in our sphere participate is to get us deeper on on steps towards structural reform for example This was a good interaction. Uh, uh, Jessica Stites, who is our uh, fantastic, talented uh, editor in these times, she and I had a conversation about how restorative justice principles in in schools, which has become kind of something that that our movements want, um, often are found not to work very well by teachers and unions because of the way they're implemented. And then she uh, assigned a reporter to go to Des Moines and do really deep reporting on a really effective model that is much better in order to give a model everything else about what you need to build in and what resources you have to invest in order to do it well. And I thought that was a great service to social movements to have that, and it got a ton of attention. And in these times, there's a history of doing that kind of journalism. But that's an example of movement-related journalism that actually makes us all better by by having a model in front of us.
4: Uh, Yeah, I think that's a great example. Um, I I would also add to that, you're kind of reminding me of a a set of stories that we've run um, about safety in the warehouse industry um, and that we're trying to connect the dots. There are a lot of efforts, some of them connected, some disconnected in different states. um, But we've been able to kind of tell that story in a broader way um, and give organizers tools to be able to use as well in actually talking about what is happening both inside workplaces What's happening in different states on a policy response to? Um, so I think that there are a lot of ways uh, that a magazine, you know, more so than you know, just our movement organizations and political structures, that we really need media and journalism that's able to dig into those questions.
2: Yeah, well, I'd give i give another example, and that was the great reporting of what's happening on these growth towns in the West that are becoming, you know, uh, uh, destinations for the one percent and. and the workers who work there have to uh, have terrible jobs and they have to commute hours and live in other states in order to do the work. That's been a great series of articles.
0: So I'll just say I've been a reader of In These Times since the 1990s. And what I just have to say, I, I think the need for journalism and the kind of journalism that In These Times does is more important than ever. Uh, as mainstream sources thin, it is virtually impossible to get um, really good articles that talk about, like, criminal justice reform, a lot of the things we're talking about that take on and expose the corporate and the wealthy behind things as opposed to just these politicians, right, and get to the nub of this. It's absolutely indispensable. And so, folks, if you're listening, this doesn't exist by itself. It needs to be supported. Alex, tell our listeners before you go how they can – not only like start, you know, consuming in these times, if they're not, which is amazing, but how they, if if they do, how they can become more serious of a supporter of the kind of journalism in these times does.
4: Yeah. You can um, go to in these times.com. We actually put all, you know, we publish our magazine in print 10 times a year. Um, We're publishing new stories on the web almost every day. Um, It's also a point of principle that we don't have a paywall. Um, We depend on support um, from readers. Um, Most of our funding comes from individual donations and small dollar donations from readers. Um, You can support as a sustainer at inthestimes.com or you can subscribe. Uh, We've also got uh, free subscription offers for one year for members of the Democratic Socialists of America um, or for members of any labor union. So we have one generous funder um, who is funding that program, again, IndiesTimes.com. And you can read all of our content there. Um, But if you become a sustainer or a subscriber, you can receive the print magazine 10 times a year as well.
0: Folks, please support In These Times. Alex, thank you so much for taking the time to join us and for making the decision to do the kind of work in the leadership in the movement you're doing right now.
4: All right. Thank you guys very much for having me. Thanks.
0: I hope you'll come back sometime. We'll invite you. Anytime, back.
4: Robert. Anytime. Great.
0: Oh, this is great, folks. Uh, with that, we got to take a break. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. Again, you can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Battleground Wisconsin is supported by by the good folks at WEAC Region 2, protecting the rights of education employees and promoting public education in the central Wisconsin area. Learn more at weac.org, W-E-A-C dot O-R-G. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. Want to, again, thank Alex Hahn for just joining us in the last segment. We have a second guest, folks. We're, we're packed this week as I mentioned before, Dr. Michael Rosen is back with us, our our in-house economist. He's been on vacation. He's been very busy. Uh, Dr. Rosen, welcome back.
3: Great to be here.
0: Oh, it's good to have you. A lot has happened since you left. We'll get into the Fed and all that because I love talking about it. I'm weird that way. Uh, but Michael, I just it's been a while since we touched base. My sense is things are going Fairly well with the economy, but I want to get your take overall. What's happening in the economy, and then you're within the broader perspective of you know the Fed and inflation and everything that's going on. But
3: Michael, how's yeah. it, how's the economy doing? The economy is doing exceptionally well. Uh, everybody might not recognize it, uh, but it's doing exceptionally well. Job growth has been phenomenal. Biden is is right now trends continue, and the Fed doesn't kill this economy with additional interest rate hikes, Biden will go down in history as the greatest job-creating president in the history of the the country. Let me just give you a a little bit of data. So far, he's under the Biden administration, 13.4 million jobs have been created. That's seven times as many jobs as were created In the 16 years of the last three Republican presidents combined, since 1989 and the end of the Cold War, the United States has created 49 million new jobs, 47 million of those out of the 49, so almost, I mean, 96% were created under Democratic presidents. There's no doubt that right now we're having a blistering hot economy, but it is slowing. It is slowing. In August, the jobs report, we only created 187,000 net new jobs. That's still pretty good. Unemployment is at record lows. And in the state of Wisconsin, it's lower than it is nationally, which is at a record low. Uh, And uh, labor participation is at a record high. In other words, this idea that people were leaving the labor market uh, and not going back to work, is not true in fact that's why we're seeing labor shortages in certain areas right now Uh, and inflation has fallen by two-thirds so that right now real wages that is purchasing power wages or adjusted for inflation are going up they're higher than the inflation rate right now the inflation rate is around three percent so So michael we're in a sweet spot so I I I
0: feel the, and sort of see the same sweet spot that you do, but help me understand this and help our listeners understand this. That is not at all how the the numbers. If you ask people how the economy is doing, Biden is tied numbers with Trump. Um, it just help help explain. And I obviously I think all the talk about inflation. Helps dampen, but help explain why, in spite of what you just said, we're in the sweet spot.
3: People don't feel that. Well, yeah, I mean that's not something that I'm an expert in. I can give I I can give you some. Are we getting outside
0: of the economists' (laughs) uh, skill trade? But but the economists do you do understand public sentiment and how like this plays? So what are your thoughts, Michael?
3: My thoughts on this are this: number one. Uh, people have been through a rough patch. Uh, we were in a pretty deep recession. Uh, and I will say that the, it could have been much worse uh, as we saw under the uh, Great Recession in uh, 2008, 2009, when there wasn't massive investment in the economy and we had a very slow and jobless recovery, a painful recovery. That didn't happen this time. But I think that uh, people have long memories and people who went through this recession and COVID, uh, you know, are are, uh, very cautious. I also think I also think that partisan media, uh, the attacks, the constant attacking of the Biden economy, what they call Bidenomics, which was a pejorative at first. And now the Biden administration is trying to turn it into a campaign slogan, but they kept the Biden recession, which Fox News and many others were promoting, uh, and the focus on inflation itself uh, and uh, the misreading of what the causes of inflation were. And I also just think that, you know, this is a country still, despite all the good things that I just mentioned in the economy and the macroeconomy. We still have tremendous inequality. We have huge student debt, uh, which Republicans are continuing to uh, make worse instead of allow the Biden administration to address it. Uh, and so and I think another thing is, despite the good developments in the economy, the neighborhoods that are distressed the near north side of Milwaukee, for example, uh, which has been in a depression since the early 1980s, uh, the Reagan uh, double-dip recession of 81, 82, 83, uh, those neighborhoods really aren't improving. Even if people are getting better jobs, many of them move out, blocks are still decimated. uh, There's high levels of poverty and up crime. And so people don't experience the 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 uh, strong economy in the same way that someone who lives on the east side or who lives in uh, 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 even a, a suburb like uh, South Milwaukee may experience. It.
0: Exactly, and I thank you for saying that. And I think that that helps explain a lot of this. And also, you know, if you if you own your own home, that's great. If you're a renter. The rent is too damn high and there is what is going on in the housing market right now and particular markets that certain folks, uh, as you just mentioned, right, uh, are dealing with that, that there's immense pressure that's eating up everything right in a, in a terribly uh, discriminatory way. Robert, question for Michael.
2: Yeah, I think that um, part of the problem, Michael, is, is that we're a very un- unfair species in the sense, if someone prevented the 9-11 tra- uh, tragedy, they wouldn't be a hero because it wouldn't have happened. So <laughs> a lot of folks have jobs, and they don't attribute it to Biden because they have jobs, but they still go and face inflation and other places. Right now, it's a gas pump. Now, and Mike, Matt pointed out housing has been a constant hyperinflationary, area, and I would add healthcare to that. Um, but let me just ask it this way. So, you know, there's been a lot of criticism here and among progressives of the Fed, but they haven't crashed the economy. They may have figured out a soft landing, though I agree with Matt's idea they could mess the landing up at the end, uh, so to speak. Uh, That part of it is, I would say, the stimulus that Biden did, which he hasn't gotten credit. He's made huge, massive investments, and those have outweighed the interest rate increases. So- it's worked so far, even though it's not a coordinated strategy. The Fed's on its own program. Uh, Biden and the Democrat Congress on another. The Republicans now not playing ball and cutting off stimulus. Um, but I just wonder. Um, we have energy prices spiking, right? And we had a little uptick in inflation, but it's it's more energy than anything else. Utilities and gas prices at the pump, which are people are very sensitive to, and the utility issue. This is where including the Inflation Reduction Act can help. It's fricking fossil fuel industry and being tied to that commodity, right? And a lot of actors that that can control supply and control therefore the price, like Saudi Arabia and the rest of OPEC. So my question is, some have floated that the Fed's 2% inflation goal is arbitrary, that they should consider making it 3% and leave it. And that seems like, because they're saying that in mainstream, which means it's not just us, it's some of the folks who were in the conversation. Uh, can you speak to that, that, that really they could stand pat now and that they don't have to be hawks about the 2%? That makes sense to me, but you're the expert here.
3: No, I agree with you. I, I think you're right, though, Robert. The, the, the 2% target is an arbitrary target. There's no science to it. Uh, I forget if it was Norway or Sweden. It was a Scandinavian country that adopted it first. And then, and then everybody uh, just followed the leader. Uh, and that became the standard without any real uh, uh, justification, any economic science justification. Uh, and the fact of the matter is that in attempting to reach that, we could the Fed could cause a recession. I want to address something that you just said, which is really important, and that is that the reason that the fed's rapid increases and these this they've increased interest rates by almost over five percent in a very short period of time. The reason it didn't cause a recession it took, is that because of the stimulus programs of the Biden administration, you mentioned. Uh, I think you were referring to ARPA, the American Rescue Plan Act. Prior to that, there was the CARES Act. Both of those pumped a huge amount of money into the economy. But don't forget, there was also uh, the uh, semiconductor, the CHIPS Act, which has been a huge investment, Private stimulated all kinds of private investment, public investment and private investment, and the Inflation Reduction Act and the Infrastructure Act. So there's been this huge amount of public investment in the economy that has been a counterbalancing force to the interest rate hikes of the Fed. If the Fed keeps raising interest rates, it could kill that economy. And remember, the, the, the analysis of why you raise interest rates is because you think there's demand is it too great? There's more demand than there is supply. The reason that we had inflation was not excessive demand. It was a combination of supply chain blockages, problems with the supply chains, China shutdown, and the Iraq war. That's pretty clearly why we had inflation. And that's agreed on pretty much across the board. I mean, there are a few economists who, who don't, but pretty much across the board. And, the, now, and Michael, like
2: the other thing is the brittle supply supply chain corporate America put in there yes. with no resiliency in order to maximize their short-term profit, but left us vulnerable.
3: Absolutely. And so if so if that's correct, and I think I believe it is, and I think you believe it is, then The medicine of increased interest rates is not addressing the problems that existed. And uh, if they continue to raise them, uh, and as we've seen, job creation is slowing down. It's still pretty good, but it's slowing down. If they continue to raise them, we risk throwing the economy into a recession. That would be a horrible thing to do, and it would be a a policy mistake. To To the question of 2%, there's absolutely no reason that we need inflation at 2%. Uh, and I'll tell you the what really drives that, what really drives it uh, is that inflation is hated by the investor class. They hate inflation because it eats up the value of their investments. Uh, it actually reduces for debtors yes. the value of their debts. Uh, and so... Uh, You know, when you have a Fed that's dominated by central bankers uh, and very wealthy people, uh, there's a class bias to focusing on inflation and not the Fed's real, at least legally uh, legislative goal of stable prices and stable employment. The Fed generally errs on the side of Fighting inflation and ignores employment and unemployment, and if it if it is focused on the two percent, it makes that its goal, it could make that error again and cause unemployment to begin to rise.
0: Well, let me just say, I did not make an error in making sure Dr. Rosen came back to the show today it's great to have you back michael but we got to end the show and i'll just say michael's going to be back in september we're going to have him because the fed's going to be meeting again will it be 12 out of 13 that would be if they raise rates and i i agree they should ought not but everyone expects and x expects that they will probably raise rates again so we'll we'll bring michael back in september we're going to talk more about this And it, uh, you know, one other thing, Michael, before you go, I actually want to bring a couple of strands of conversation we've been having over the last year together sometime um, this fall. And I want to have a conversation with you and Tobita Chow, who we've been talking a lot about the anti-China rhetoric. And I want to talk about the economic impact. Um, We spent a lot talking about just how it's bigoted and often leads to hate unnecessarily. And um, but I think it's we need to have a conversation about the economic impact of this type of campaign on our economy and the role of China and its integration. Right. And what this means, um, because I think it's very we're headed in a very dangerous area uh, election cycle where the one thing uh, the parties will probably be likely trying to one up each other on is who's tougher on China. And not only is that bad, Uh, policy but I think it's really bad policy specifically around the economy so uh, Dr. Rosen look forward to maybe your thoughts on both of those uh, things uh, this fall that'd be great and with that thank you Dr. Rosen for being here we also want to thank Alex from In These Times joining us earlier and want to thank our producer Brian Wilbridge who makes every one of these shows possible we will see you all next week here at the Battleground Wisconsin